So um, the new topic we're starting today is on the extraordinary gifts of the spirit, and the question that's uh, the question for that topic is: Are extraordinary gifts of the spirit operative today? So t- I shall try to be as fast as possible, as I have six pages of notes here that I'll try to go through in this limited time that I have. So yeah, so. Today I shall be just handling the overview, so I'm not going to be getting much deeper into each topic, just just a bit's eye view over um, the, the, the different topics that some of our brothers are going to uh, dive, uh, dive deeper into in the future. So as a response to the question, are extraordinary gifts of the Spirit operative today, we shall be critiquing what is known as the nine extraordinary gifts or the charisms. So these charisms are derived from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 10. Um, there are many passages in Scripture that uh, tell us about spiritual gifts, and they are, sometimes they come in different orders, in different lists. So, but today we shall be looking at the list from 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 10, which a lot of charismatics like to use when referring to these spiritual gifts. So, um, allow me to read. From 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 10. And I shall be reading from the NASB. Forgive me for that, those who love the ESV. So, for to one is given, let me start from verse 4. Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same Spirit, and there are varieties of ministries, but the same Lord. There are varieties of effects, but the same God who works all things in all persons. But to each one is given the manifest, manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For, um, for to one is given the word of wisdom through the Spirit, and to another the word of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, and to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, and to another the effecting of miracles, and to another prophecy, and to another the distinguishing of spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, and to another the interpretation of tongues. But one and the same spirit works all these things contributing to each one individually just as he wills. That's First Corinthians chapter 12, verse 8 to 11. So, here we just noticed the Apostle Paul listing the nine extraordinary gifts or the charisms. And just to summarize them to you, they are, number one, the word of wisdom. Number two, the knowledge of God. Uh, the the uh, NASB says the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge. Number three, the gift of faith. Number four, the gift of healing. Number five, the gift of miracles. Number six, prophecy. Number seven, discernment. Number eight, speaking in tongues. And number nine, interpretation of tongues. These are what um, the charismatic... Call, um, they are nine extraordinary gifts or the charisms. So the question today, are these charisms operational today? So 
just so that we do not misunderstand the the intention of Paul in writing to the Corinthians. Let us uh, just understand the contextual background of First Corinthians um, chapter twelve, and we should notice that the Apostle Paul's argument on spiritual gift spans from First uh, Corinthians chapter twelve to chapter fourteen. It just doesn't end in chapter twelve. But his argument is covered in three chapters of First Corinthians, from chapter 12 to chapter 14. And we should also notice that it was a response to the Corinthian church. We had a misunderstanding on what these gifts are, um, where they came from, and how they are manifested. This is a response. That's why he starts now concerning spiritual gifts. So we see that when reading First Corinthians, he starts by addressing... Um, doctrinal issues from chapter 1 to chapter 6 and then from chapter 7 it starts answering questions that were given by the corinthian church so from chapter 12 that's when he starts addressing the issue of spiritual gifts the apostle paul gives us an idea of what was happening in the in uh, in the corinthian church and that he needed so urgently to address so he gives us that idea. And we get a hint that the Corinthians had embedded their old pagan practices, which were characterized by ecstasy, into the church and claimed that they were manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And Paul establishes that there is one giver of gifts uh, that are used in varieties of services to one Lord and varieties of activities empowered by one God. So basically, it's one God who gifts people with different gifts. And they're used, these gifts are used in service of that one God. In other words, there is unity in these gifts and are used together to fulfill two purposes. These gifts are used together to fulfill two purposes, at least according to what I noted from reading. The first purpose is manifestation of the holy spirit it was to signify or to show that the holy spirit was present and number two it was used uh, for the service to god as one body in diverse and yet complementary ways so people had these gifts to serve god in different ways but they are serving one god and these different uh, ways they were uh, working in unity they were complementary to one another. So they were not separate from each other, but they are working together to serve one purpose. And Apostle Paul then goes on to list the nine spiritual gifts in verse 8 to 10, which we will look at one by one and see if um, they are still operational today. And another thing to note from this chapter is that people are gifted as a result of the will of the Holy Spirit. Thus not everyone can be an apostle, or a prophet, or miracle worker, etc. So, unlike a lot of charismatics who make it a prerequisite for people to speak in tongues, I came from a charismatic church. They say, for you to be a church elder, you need to show signs that you speak in tongues. So, in other words, they're saying that it is uh, your will to speak in tongues. If you can't speak in tongues, then it's your fault. Then the Holy Spirit is not the one who gives according to his will. So at least that's what I know from the church I came from. So, yeah, 
So you need to be validated as a Christian by the fact that you speak in tongues. That's what charismatics um, believe. So proponents of the charismatic movement believe that all churches, all churches need these nine gifts. And in fact, some believers um, believe that the presence and the absence of these gifts uh, is the difference between a true church and a false one. So if a church doesn't have these nine spiritual gifts, if they are not seen in the church, then they might just say, you know, your church isn't a Bible-believing church. Okay. Um, even some gifts that we would agree are still operational today, uh, you know, it's not the full list that we would just throw away and say no. But the, out of the nine gifts, there are some gifts there that we would sit and agree that, you know, these ones are necessary and these ones are still operational today. But we also need to understand that the charismatics also have distorted the meaning of these other gifts. And they use, um, they use them uh, wrongly. They understand them wrongly. They apply them wrongly. Um, and we shall look at them one by one, the nine um, gifts. So now we will take a closer look at these nine gifts. But before, I just want to just I just want us to categorize them first. So allow me to categorize and uh, put them in two categories. So these two gifts are divided into two categories, which are the first one, temporary sign gifts, and these are the gift of healing, the working of miracles prophecy, various kinds of tongues, and interpretation of tongues. Those five are the temporary sign gifts. And then the other gifts, I didn't find the right term to, 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 to name the category, but I just said other gifts, which are the utterance of wisdom, the utterance of knowledge, faith, and discernment. Those four, which make up nine gifts. So five of them would make a conclusion now to say that they are not operational today. Four of them are still visible. So let us uh, unlock one category, number one, which is the temporary sign gifts. This is where the controversy comes from, the controversy between the charismatics and the cessationists or the continualists versus the cessationists. So the first one we shall look at is the gift of healing. <coughs> So charismatics believe that people today are still gifted with the ability to heal bodies, minds, and broken hearts. This is a quotation from an author. I'm not making this up. So I'm not strumming them. This is what they say. They believe that people today are still gifted with the ability to heal bodies, minds, and broken hearts. The gift was... Um, so this gift of healing was like, uh, is like all other sign gifts. Um, and when you look at it from scripture, it was actually constrained to a certain time period uh, to fulfill a purpose. So these ones are not disposed uh, across the entire uh, time from the times from when time began all the way up to today but we can see that they were coming in from time to time 
to fulfill a purpose. The chief purpose of the gift of healing was not the healing itself. We should note that. But it was the validation of a certain person appointed by God to represent him. This gift of healing. It was not just because someone is compassionate and people are in need of healing. So let's do it. But it was to, uh, to validate a person that they were truly a messenger of God. By, perf- by performing the sign of healing, a person would prove that he has been sent by God. The example, um, there are a few examples in the Old Testament, but one that came uh, in the four, in the four for me was the example of the healing of Naaman by Elisha. In Second uh, Kings chapter 5, from verse 1 to 9. Uh, just allow me to read. I want you to, to, to note something in verse um, 9. 2 Kings chapter 5, verse 1 to 9. Now Naaman, captain of the army of the king of Aram, was a great man with his master and highly respected because by him the Lord had given victory to Aram. The man who was also a valiant warrior, but he was a leper. Now the Arameans had gone out uh, in bands and had taken captive a little girl um, from the land of Israel and she waited on Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, I wish that my master were, the, uh, were with the prophet who is in Samaria, then he would cure him of his leprosy. Naaman went in and told his master, saying, Thus and thus spoke the girl whom, uh, who is from the land of Israel. Then the king of Aram said, Go now, and I will send a letter to the king of Israel. He departed and took with him ten talents of silver and six thousand shekels of gold and ten changes of clothes. He brought the letter to the king of Israel, saying, And now, as the letter comes to you, behold, I have sent Naaman my servant to you, that you may cure him of his leprosy. When the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill or to make alive that this man is sending word to me to cure a man of of his leprosy? But consider now and see how he is seeking a quarrel against me. It happened when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, that he sent word to the king, saying, Why have you torn your clothes? Now let him come to me, um, and he shall know that there is a prophet in Israel. So up to verse 8. So this is where I want you to highlight the reason why Elisha was to perform this uh, healing. He said, let him come that he may know that there is a prophet in Israel. So this was to fulfill or to validate Elisha as a prophet sent by God. So that's the example that I chose to, to give to you from the Old Testament on an occasion where healing um, was performed. Another instance in the New Testament is Jesus healing the sick to prove that he was sent by God. There are many healings that he performed. And the, it wasn't in the healing that we should uh, marvel on or something. But uh, it's in why he was healing. He was showing that he was sent by God. He was the son of God. And if you want to see how 
uh, abnormal it was in those days. People were marveling, saying, with these signs he performs, no one can perform these signs except if he is sent by God, except if he comes from God, except if he comes in the name of God. So it wasn't a normal thing to just heal. So in that time, it actually shows us that, you know, healing wasn't a very common thing. Um, it was actually surprising to many people. So when they see someone healing, the first thing they'll think about this person is sent by God. Another example is the apostles healing the sick. Um, and also one thing that I, I came to, to learn is that um, they would only heal when they enter a new city where people didn't know them. This was a way also to show that they are coming. They were sent by God. They had the power of God in them. But along the way, there were some instances where they could not even, Paul could not heal himself when he had a thorn in the flesh. He could not heal Timothy when he was sick. But he told him, take a little wine. He could not heal, uh, is this Epaph- uh, what's, what's his name? Epaphroditus. Yeah. Who was sick to a point of death that he was almost dying. He couldn't even heal him. So healing was not at the disposal of the apostles anytime they wanted. But it was uh, used to authenticate their position as apostles. So some people go to to an extent of saying that healing was a gift that was given mostly, or some people say only to the apostles in that time. So... Also, now we need to see that in the church history, there are many great men that we know to be great and yet have never performed any healing on anyone. And yet they are, fa- they, they are found to have been genuine laborers in God's kingdom. So for you to see that, okay, healing is no longer necessary. Uh, Martin Luther didn't, didn't have to heal people for us to say Martin Luther was uh, a man used of God. Uh, Charles, Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon didn't have to heal anyone. Uh, John Calvin didn't have to heal anyone. So that shows us that the gift of healing was no longer necessary to validate anyone. And we should just understand that God is building his church today apart from these extraordinary sign gifts. For example, healing. We're not trying to say that God is, does not heal people. God can still heal people, but not, but he doesn't give individuals the power to heal. We can pray for someone who's sick and God can heal him. But that doesn't mean that it's an extraordinary gift of the spirit in a certain person. Let us move on to number two, miracles. So, Concerning miracles, charismatics also believe that people today are still being gifted with with an ability to perform miracles. So what are miracles? So miracles are supernatural acts that are contrary to the law of nature that display the power of God. Those are miracles. Uh, I remember one teaching I listened to that there's a difference between providence and miracles. Providence is actually God using understandable laws of nature to cater for people. But miracles are actually disregarding the laws of nature. For example, Jesus walking on water, that's a miracle. Turning water into wine, that's a miracle. Raising someone from the dead, that's a miracle. And we should note that 
miracles are often displayed in the natural world. Okay? So, these miracles are also sign gifts, just like the gifts of healing. And they're used for authentication as well. To authenticate or to validate the messenger of God. So throughout history, we can only notice a number of instances where miracles were performed and again, they were for validation of a messenger. I gave you examples. Uh, Jesus walking on water, turning uh, the water into wine, all these things. Or even commanding seas to calm. The, the roaring seas to just calm. So, these are miracles. So, and then there are a few examples in the Old Testament. We see the, the Moses performing miracles as a sign to the Israelites and to Pharaoh that he was indeed sent by God. Yeah. It was for validation. It wasn't just so that he could just show off, but it was to validate. They asked uh, God, how would they believe me if I go and tell them? And God said, you know, what is this in your hand, your stuff? throw it on the ground and then it turned into a serpent all these things was for him to actually go and prove to the israelites that he was indeed sent by god and he went and performed more signs in front of pharaoh so that pharaoh would know that it was god who had sent him so it was for validation we also have um, another example of elijah and elisha also uh, they performed miracles for the same cause. He, said, he prayed for fire to come rain uh, from heaven. He prayed that the rain would stop for three years. So these things they are doing as a sign to show that they are sent by God. So in the New Testament, uh, Jesus performed his first miracle at the wedding of Cana. To prove that he was the Messiah sent by God. It wasn't just because he wanted to provide for people. But that people would see that he was truly a messenger of God. So now we live in an age where the Holy Spirit works in the hearts of mankind. To manifest the glory of God through salvation. By the application of scripture to a stubborn man who would want nothing to do with God. This is the way now God works. He doesn't use miracles anymore to try to prove anything. But the Holy Spirit himself, he applies the gospel. That's enough. You don't want to see miracles. Just imagine. I think your life would be... It's just a miracle when you think of where you came from. What kind of a person you were. And the drastic change that happened in your life. It's just impossible. No one, can, No amount of therapy can turn you into a better person or into the person you are today. It's a, the miracle of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so the preacher now has no need for validation through miracles as they have no new revelation that would require proof that it is from God. So usually prophets would come and say, uh, that says the Lord, but... Back then, we had more skeptics than we have today. People would say, how do we know you are speaking in the... You are, you are representing God. You are saying God said this. How do we know that she, it's, it's true? Then a prophet would show a sign, would give a prophecy, or would do something, maybe a miracle, to show that he was sent by God. That's how people believe. But now that uh, scripture or the canon is closed, there is no prophecy anymore. 
There is no need for validation because God has given his word. So we can say miracles have ceased. That's what we can conclude from that. Let me try to move fast. I have uh, more to go through. Prophecy. Charismatics still believe that prophecy is a gift that exists today. So there's one verse that actually answers this question or uh, trumps over this um this point that prophecy still exists today which is hebrews 1 um hebrews chapter 1 verse 1 which says god after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions in and in many ways in these last days he has spoken to us in his son whom he appointed heir of all things through whom he is uh, he, through whom also he made the world so we are being told that long ago God used to use prophets to speak all the prophets you read about in the Old Testament like of Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel etc. they were the ones that were delivering God's message but in these last days God has spoken to us through his son Jesus Christ so there were no need there was no need for prophets anymore what more could prophets say the office of of prophets was necessary before the canon was closed there was no bible to read so people relied on the word uh, of god through the prophets so the so it was necessary then um and the words of the prophets have been recorded in scripture now as part of the inspired word of god so I believe the closing of the canon marked the end of prophecy. As all necessary prophecy was already in scripture. That we don't need any more prophecy. Actually, if you, if you would like to analyze the nature of prophecy in the Old Testament, we see that there are two things that prophets did. One was to warn people to flee from their sinful ways. We see prophets doing that. Saying, you know, turn to God, turn to God. Uh, Amos said, see God and live. Uh, Isaiah said, come, let us reason together. Though your sins are as scarlet, I'll make them as white, mm-hmm. as wool, or as, as snow. I'm just paraphrasing. But we see the prophets, they are uh, warning people to flee from their sinful ways. And the second thing that we see in the prophets is that they were pointing to the coming Messiah. Though people were to flee from their sins, though people were to stop sinning, they had hope. All the prophets were pointing that there shall be a Messiah who shall come and save you from your sins and uh, redeem you from your bondage. This, these are the, the two um, aspects or the nature of um, the Old Testament prophecy. So what I usually like to think is, okay, they pointed to Christ. So now that Christ has come, what else is there for a prophet to say apart from that christ has come so you can't give any more message you can't add to scripture anymore because christ has already come who was the center of all prophets in the old testament so prophecy is no longer necessary number four tongues and the interpretation of tongues these are two points i just combined for the sake of time so uh Likewise, 
charismatics also believe that tongues exist even the interpreters are also uh, inexistent so this also was a sign gift meant for authentication especially fulfilling the promises of the coming of the holy spirit and the showing uh, and showing the power of the gospel uh, when you look at Acts chapter 2, um, the speaking of tongues was to signify that the promise to Holy Spirit that Jesus promised and said, and I'll pray the Father and he shall send another uh, comforter that he may be with you forever. He was uh, validated that he indeed had come through people speaking in tongues. And actually that was, uh, that was fulfilling two things. One, authenticating the coming of the Holy Spirit and showing the power of the gospel. That the Holy Spirit was to come and empower people himself, dwelling in mankind. Mm. And from scripture, we can see that tongues were known languages that people could hear and understand. Acts chapter 2. Tongues were also meant to fulfill a prophecy. Uh, Brother Anthony taught on that before. It was meant to fulfill a prophecy in Isaiah chapter 28 verse 11, uh, which says by people of strange lips and a foreign tongue the lord will speak to these people it was support it was meant to judge israel the unbelieving israel so in this prophecy god would use these tongues to judge the unbelieving israel they were a sign that israel was under judgment i was reading something that this had happened uh, a few times before so it had happened when the Babylonians came and the Assyrians also came. And now the Israelites would know that when people are speaking in strange tongues, in strange languages, foreign lips, this is judgment on us. So that's why the Israelites who were there, they noticed it. They were in awe. They were asking, how is this happening? It was God judging the people of Israel. So tongues were never um, intended to, um, to edify the church. Um, but in our day, it's practiced in a church context and it's inconsistent with the instructions in First Corinthians chapter 14. People have misunderstood why tongues were there, why the gift of tongues was there. And uh, Paul tells us that it's not for uh, believers, but it's meant for unbelievers. And who are these unbelievers? It's not just any unbeliever. Because he even talks about the, the gentle unbelievers. That, ah, you know, if you're in the church and you're speaking in tongues and they come, they hear you speaking in tongues. When they say these people are mad, so it wasn't, I would believe that it wasn't meant for the gentile unbelievers, but for the um, Israelite unbelievers. So, yeah. And the Israelites received their judgment. And that's rendering tongues irrelevant in our times, unless there is any more Israelite, there are any more Israelites to judge today. Right. So these are the the four, the five uh, gifts of the Spirit, extraordinary gifts of the Spirit that I believe, or maybe some of us believe that they they, they have ceased. So now we jump over to the other category. This one is very short. I'll just go over it. Uh, quickly so these ones i believe that god still gives people these gifts because they're still necessary for the building up of the church we should also understand that spiritual gifts were meant for the building up of the church 
and these four gifts listed in the nine uh, extraordinary gifts they are necessary today we start with the word of wisdom first of all we need to understand what the charismatics believe about the gift of wisdom so they believe that god can give us a supernatural solution i'm quoting again god can give us a supernatural solution to a problem that cannot be solved by men's ideas this is what they say um, before you even before you are even quick to agree with them you know to them wisdom is equated to how it's presented in the fantasy world of film and television and fairy tale shows i don't know if you have if you have seen the lights of gandalf the the white those who like lord of the rings or yoda from star wars or rafiki from uh, the lion king this is the picture of wise people and you know the kind of wisdom it's 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 just a weird thing they do like you know a go he's a wise man ask him questions he'll tell you what to do you know just like how people used to go and consult rafiki rafiki what do we do that's the idea of wisdom people have and for them wisdom is not found in the obedience and application of scripture to practical matters but rather it's found in reliance upon a still small voice that comes every time one is to make a decision so i'm like ah what can i do what can i do lord tell me what should i do about this ah and then the lord spoke to me he told me to do this that's what they believe that it's wisdom but it's not that i have a, a friend of mine laura knows him um there's a day he said something weird and i was like this doesn't it was like today i'm going to eat in this restaurant i was just thinking which restaurant should i go to eat and then god told me go to this one so that's where i'm going and then i was like what this is madness some people believe that some people believe that um you need to have this supernatural wisdom to pick uh a restaurant to eat in or to pick a school to go to that is not true that's not wisdom So what is wisdom according to or what's what what yeah how do we define wisdom in a way that's consistent with scripture So wisdom is the ability to understand the word of God and his will and be able to apply that understanding to life That's what I see wisdom as an ability to understand the word of God and his will and the ability to apply that understanding to life It also extends to having the ability to communicate the will of God which is now called utterance of wisdom to communicate that wisdom. So, we need to understand that wisdom is obedience to scripture, right? It is obedience to scripture which is understanding and doing what scripture says. That's wisdom. When the Bible says do this, do this, do this, right? You understand it. and then you apply it that's wisdom so it is therefore necessary for people in the church to have wisdom because it it it's it's necessary for the edification of the saints if there are wise people in the church then that church is blessed with good gifts so yeah so i i need us to understand that the spiritual gifts here um 
some have completely seized and some that we agree with they are misunderstood by the charismatics uh the sixth one the utterance of knowledge so charismatics i'm quoting again charismatics believe that the holy spirit will sometimes reveal information that could have not been known by men i don't know if you really get this statement Charismatics believe that the Holy Spirit will sometimes reveal information that could not have been known by men. So in other words, they believe that knowledge is unique revelation that is unique to Scripture. I don't know if you've seen a lot of charismatics, a lot of prophets saying, you know, we have new information. We have God is, is giving us new revelation, you know. This Bible stuff, you know, it's old. I hear from God directly, gives me revelation. And you're like, ah, that's revelation, you know. So that's what people believe to be knowledge. That's, this person knows, he's, he knows a lot. And they believe that there is some information that can only be attained by those who are gifted with the gift of knowledge, who would then share this knowledge with others. They basically believe that the canon is still open. It's not sufficient for the church to live by it. I know a friend, the same friend I'm talking about. He once said, you know, the book of Acts is too open. Mm-hmm. You know, we shall add to Acts. That's what he was saying. We have more information. Because he was saying that, that's the introduction of the church. But the church is still going on and Acts is still being written. So it's not closed. That's what he was saying. So all these revelations they get, they're trying to open the Bible up so that they can bring in their revelations and claim that they're coming from God. That's what they believe knowledge to be. But what is knowledge? So I'm just going to borrow the definition from John MacArthur. So John MacArthur says, Knowledge is the ability to understand and speak God's truth with insight into the mysteries of his word that cannot be known apart from God's revelation. We need to understand that this knowledge is coming from God's word, not from your thoughts. It's from reading scripture. And through reading, through reading scripture, you come to an understanding of God's word. That's what uh, knowledge is. It is a difference. To, so uh, no, we need to also understand that, that, um, that there's a difference between knowledge and wisdom. They kind of almost sound similar in definition. Um, and the difference is that knowledge gives one the ability to understand scripture but wisdom goes further from understanding to application you get it you might know scripture you might know the mysteries of um, scripture the things that are not easy to understand you might be able to tell these mysteries to people the preacher can preach the mysteries of God's word with knowledge but is that preacher able to live by that same teaching or the same knowledge is teaching? That's where wisdom comes, the application of that knowledge. There are people who live well, they, can, they, they, are, they are good at applying scripture. So that's where we need to understand that difference. So it is necessary for the church to have the gift of knowledge so we can have people who understand the meaning of, of scripture to teach those who do not so not everyone is has that ability to just grasp things so easily 
but there are people who have the ability who know the truth of that's why we have teachers in the church and some are not teachers teachers can teach those who do not who do not know how to learn by themselves number seven which is the second from the last one is faith so the Another quotation. The charismatic understanding of faith is that, and I quote, it is not a normal kind of faith we need daily. The gift of faith is a special ability to believe for big things. A person operating in supernatural faith will motivate others to pray until the answer comes. This is what charismatics believe to be faith. That a supernatural a person operating in supernatural faith will motivate others to pray until uh, the answer comes. So me, when I was a charismatic, um, I used to say something like, you know, your blessing is um, an act of faith away. You know, unlock it. Faith is the key. Your your blessings are hanging somewhere there. You just need to have more faith to, you know, bring them down. People say there's a storeroom in heaven where your greatness is stored. And if you just have faith, you'll be able to receive these things. That's what I know they used to say. So basically, they're saying that the, the, the attainment of uh, blessings lies in your ability or in our ability to believe big things, to receive them. So if you don't receive these things, if you don't receive blessings, it's your fault. You didn't have enough faith. What is faith? There's a definition from, from um, uh, Hebrews chapter 11. So I believe that faith is an unwavering trust in God. This is my belief. It is an unwavering trust in God, even in the midst of a storm. Knowing that God will come to your deliverance, and even if he doesn't, it's his will and not mine. And yet still, he remains God and I will still rejoice in that. That's faith, right? Things don't always come your way, but faith is the same as um, Daniel's friends. They had faith in God. They said, God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we will not bow down. So they believe that they left God to have his sovereign will and power over them. Not to believe in a one-way thing. No, knowing that we are, uh, we, we, as people, we have limits. We can only go as far as knowing that God is sovereign. He does what he wills. We at least believe that he will save us. But even if he doesn't, he's still God. And we'll still rejoice in that. That's faith. That's what I believe to be faith. Not to arm twist God and say, He shall give me. And I'll pray until He gives me. That's not faith. So, this faith as a gift is necessary to strengthen those who are struggling. So, someone is going through a hard time. And you have that gift of faith. You're able to, to give this person hope. To, to encourage this person to, to persevere because you have faith. You don't cause someone to be more anxious, more than they are, but you bring hope. You, uh, you direct people to what's more important. You highlight to people um, the, um, that 
God remains God. You show people that God is sovereign over everything. Whatever happens, He remains God. He still <coughs> loves you. As the Bible says that uh, He works to get uh, God. Um, he works all things to get uh, um, good for those who believe in the code, code according to His purpose. So it is necessary for um, the church to have faith in God and to have people with faith for the strengthening of other believers. And lastly, um, discernment. This one, I'll go uh, over it just quickly. I think I'm running out of time. So some charismatics believe that discernment is a sense that one gets to note evil spirits. It's a sense. It's like you have antennas. When you see someone like, uh, I sense danger, you know, that's why they believe. And there are people who tell you that, you know, they can tell that this person is evil just by looking at them. That's why they believe, you know, it's discernment. They have this, they, they say, I can feel a heaviness when this person is around me. It's just not easy, you know. This person is a demoniac because the way I feel when I'm around them. That's what they think discernment is. Yeah. But I believe that discernment comes with knowledge of scripture. You can know falsehood by knowing what it isn't. That's the only way to know that this thing is not true. To know that this is false, you know the truth. So the truth comes from scripture. You recognize a true Christian by observing a person's testimony of salvation and life in accordance to the scripture. The Bible says you shall know them by their fruits. That's what scripture says. So what does the Bible say a person, a true Christian, a true believer is like? This is what you use to actually test out to see whether this person is a true believer. With that, uh, that with wisdom, you'll be able to discern uh, spirits. <coughs> you can know a false teacher by knowing what the Bible says about a good teacher. That's in Titus, it tells you what a, a good elder is, a good uh, leader is like, right? The Bible tells us. So if a person doesn't show those qualities of a good leader, then they're not a good leader. They're a bad leader. That's what the Bible tells us. So you can't just stand without knowledge of Scripture and say, ah, this is a bad pastor. But you need to know what Scripture says about um, who a bad, uh, bad teacher is. That's why we have issues where a lot of charismatics, they say some pastors from maybe the, 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 the Reformed theologian uh, pastors, they say, ah, these are bad pastors. You know, they are false teachers. Why? Because they don't know scripture. So you need to know scripture for you to be able to tell uh, a, um, a false teacher from um, uh, a true teacher. So apart from knowledge of scripture, there's no discernment. So discernment is important in the church. So in conclusion, I'll just summarize by saying that the extraordinary sign gifts have ceased for they are not necessary anymore. With the closing off of the canon, they are not necessary anymore. God, through the Holy Spirit, is working in people to change people. He's making people believe without even seeing miracles. It's also interesting to know that we have not seen Christ in person, but yet we believe in him. How is that possible for a person to believe what he has not seen? It's through the Holy Spirit working in us. 
So we don't need all these signs for us to believe that God is, uh, is there, that God exists and God is working. We need to believe in the gospel. By believing in the gospel, the Holy Spirit applies the gospel to us and he sanctifies us, he changes us. That's all we need. So that's my conclusion. Uh, today I was a bit longer, uh, 48 minutes, so I'll leave this time for discussion.